Let's turn to Matthew, uh, excuse me, I don't know why I want to go to Matthew. James chapter 5, and uh, we're going to try to finish up the book of James in the next couple of weeks. And of course, I won't be preaching next Sunday, Brother Dean, Hamby will, and you'll be so glad to hear him preach, I guarantee you. But I'd like to preach a few minutes, and I think I'll just preach about 10 minutes, and then I'm going to give a little lesson to close out our service and about missions, and I think it's the most critical part of missions. But turn to Matthew, excuse me, James chapter 5. We'll be, we'll be back in Matthew in just a minute, amen. James chapter 5, verse 13, and we'll read through verse 18. Let's stand on the Word of God. The Bible says, If any among you be afflicted, or any among you afflicted, let him pray. Let him pray. If any marry, let him sing pray, uh, psalms. If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of, of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, not the oil, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if, if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And so I want you to notice that phrase. The Bible says, the effectual fervent prayer, verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I want to preach tonight on the prayer of faith, or how to have an effective prayer life. You may be seated. Father, thank you for the privilege and the power of prayer. Thank you for that good song. Thank you for the Lord's Supper and, God, the good music that we heard during the Lord's Supper. Thank you for our orchestra and our pianists and organists. And, God, we just thank you that we can come to a church and worship you in spirit and truth. We can go to a prayer meeting and share our burdens and pray and believe that you're going to answer. So, Lord, we pray for prayers to be answered tonight. Many are afflicted. Many are sick. Many are lost. Uh, Many have deep problems so deep they wouldn't even come to church tonight. And God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. Thank you for those that uh, wrote in this afternoon and said they enjoyed the broadcast. And God, thank you that this uh, sermon might go somewhere where somebody's very, very sick, or maybe shut in, maybe can't make it. But God, we can pray for them while we preach. And we can see a great answer of prayer. So Lord, we're looking forward to hearing some great testimonies in the future of our church on some great answers of prayer because you're a God answering you're a, a God that answers prayer and God you deserve all the glory so Lord please teach us to pray effectively tonight in Jesus name amen James chapter 5 verse 13 the Bible says if any among you be afflicted let him pray if any marry let him sing psalms if any sick among you Um, Let him call for the elders of the church. And so we see the beautiful privilege of intercessory prayer. I believe that the Christian life is summed up in in one word, and that's Christ, but another word is others. 
We ought to pray for one another. Andrew Murray said this in relationship to his people, God works only in the answers to their prayers. It is in the prayer that we change our natural strength to supernatural strength of God. I don't know about you, but natural strength's getting a little weak. And natural strength fluctuates. And natural strength can only do what man can do. But God's supernatural strength is what we need. Amen? R.A. Torrey said this, a great noted Bible preacher said, Nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies beyond the will of God. Uh, Dr. A.C. Dixon, expositor of the Word of God, uh, said this, If we depend upon organization, we get what organization can do. And that is something. When we depend upon our education, we get what education can do, and that is something. When we depend upon money, we get what money can do, and that is something. And when we depend upon singing and preaching, we get what singing and preaching can do, and that is something. But then he said, when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. We get what God can do. Oh, what the world needs is what God can do. And what these missionaries need that are about to go off into uh, some, I almost said the wild blue yonder, but some places that you would never go to vacation, you'd never go to even visit because of the danger, because of the uh, situations over there. Uh, I've... Got a report on the Spear family this afternoon, Macedonia World Baptist Mission uh, family, and she's expecting any minute. And most of the ladies in Puerto Rico are having their babies at home and carrying them into the hospital because they can't get to the hospital. And folks, uh, she's willing to stay. And, uh, you know, there's other uh, great needs in the missionaries. We'll have some missionaries come. Um, and I read uh, some things about them as they were coming, and of course, considering them having them come. And, and they've been through horrendous trials. I mean, things like uh, a baby dying uh, while the other baby's born Down syndrome. The baby at home dies. And they're still going on the mission field. They're still uh, determined that they're going to stay in the will of God and do the will of God. And I will tell you something. I don't know about you, but somebody had to pray for that mama. And somebody had to pray for that daddy. Because I'm going to tell you something. Most mamas and daddies would have went home, rocked on the front porch and says, God, you can have it. If you're going to treat me like that, I'm not going to go on the mission field, especially the mission field they're going on. And, uh, folks, it's a, it's a tremendous testimony of not only their character, but on somebody, some church, some home church, praying for them. You know, you don't have to uh, go very far. When you have failure, you usually have a prayer failure. And you don't need uh, in your life uh, but uh, what is earnest, persistent, believing prayer could supply. Whatever you need, God will provide through prayer. And I want you to turn to Matthew. I told you I was going to Matthew sooner or later, amen? And this is going to be, this, I, I'm just, I, must be, I must need this verse, and I do. Matthew 26, and I believe it's verse 41. Matthew 26, verse 41. Yes, it says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so, folks, in that, uh, that uh, admonition to watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, the Spirit indeed is willing. That means He's willing to give you victory over the flesh. And the flesh is weak, and you cannot fight the devil. You cannot defeat the world, and you cannot defeat your flesh. I believe with all my heart there's not a sin in your life but what prayer, the right kind of prayer Prayer in the name of Jesus, 
for his glory, effectual, fervent prayer would have prevented that sin. I really believe that. I believe that there's some people that has had horrendous downfalls in their Christian life, and it could have all been prevented by prayer. I had a young preacher call me and say, I've, I've, I've blown it, I'm not, I'm resigned my church last night, and uh, I can't preach for you an awesome preach in August, and I can't preach at the um, Tri-State Preachers Fellowship, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I, and I asked him what was wrong, and he said, well, I met Potiphar's wife. I said, no, you should have been a Joseph, and got up and fled. Don't blame it on her. And I believe if he'd been on praying grounds, been in the Spirit that morning, that he had an affair with his wife's best friend, he wouldn't be an assistant funeral director tonight. He'd be one of the greatest young preachers in America, and he was. Folks, don't ever th- say you can handle sin or temptation on your own. We need to pray. In the closing verse of James 5, he's talking about the prayer of intercession, helping friends, helping families, and how much more should we help our missionaries? And I want to give you, uh, in closing, about 10 ways that you can help your missionary but the best way to help your missionary is have an effectual, fervent prayer life. I think sometimes we play at prayer. I think sometimes we say at prayer, and sometimes we rehearse at prayer. But do you really pray? Look at verse 16. I want to give you four things I want you to think about tonight about intercessory prayer. Four things. Number one, the confession we must make. The confession we must make. Look at verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now Paul's saying here's a requirement. You need to confess your fault to God and then if it's public, you need to get right publicly for God. I believe if you sin privately, you ought to get it right privately. You sin publicly and it's... um, a problem where everybody knows it and you get right with God, you ought to confess it and forsake it and make it right publicly. That's called public rededication. You know, we're pretty good at confessing other people's faults. We're pretty good at that. We're pretty good about concealing faults. We try to hide it. And the air is human and to cover, that's human too. Most people want to cover it up. But if you study the history of revival... There's one thing that I've, I've, I'm, uh, uh, I'm discovering in reading about revival, that brokenness always preceded revival. Sometimes it started like in Ashbury, Kentucky. I went through there just uh, this past week or near there. And uh, it was a bunch of college students in a Methodist college that started confessing their faults one to another. And they became broken and they became desperate. And there was a mark of great confession of sin Not only to God, but to each other. And when we confess our faults one to another, several things take place. Number one, there's restoration. Look at verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one another that they may be healed. Now, folks, listen, that restoration is that you'll be healed. That's not physical healing. Everybody's thinking about physical healing. And if you're sick, I don't blame you. Several people during handshaking time said they're having a real rough time being here. I appreciate you being here with bad backs and hurting and in pain. It's not easy to come even to a padded pew. You'd like to be uh, sitting on an ice, uh, laying on an ice pack or laying in a hospital bed or, or in traction. But you're here because you know that spiritual healing 
is more important than physical healing. What is the problem of man if he gets healed of cancer and goes to hell? What is the problem of man if he gets healed and he has a sorry, sinful attitude and, and disposition and, and his soul's not right and his spirit's not right? And so there's a healing of the soul. There's a healing of the spirit. The Bible says confess your faults one another and it says pray one for another that you may be healed. We need to pray for one another. Honesty moves God. By the way, God knows it anyway, so you might as well be honest. A contrite and broken heart. David, in Psalms 51, verse 17, said, uh, he said, we don't need religion. We don't need uh, outward uh, ceremonies. The Bible says that a, that a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. It says the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart O God, thou wilt not despise. The word despise, of course, means he will not count it as ordinary. And so Psalms 51, verse 17 tells us the only way to get right with God is get seriously open to God. You must confess your sins. You need to see that sin as God sees it. Then you confess your faults one to another. I believe if you sin privately, you ought to confess privately. You sin publicly. Sometimes you need to get things right publicly. But Isaiah 57, verse 15, is one of the greatest, greatest uh, verses on revival. On revival. I believe it's Isaiah 57. Let me see. Yes, verse 15. One of the greatest verses on revival. And here's the requirement for revival. Isaiah 57, and verse 15. It says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is a, of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Folks, the hardest thing for you to do, probably, and the most impossible thing for you to do in the flesh is to be humble. And folks, humility, number one, admits that you need God. But then number two, humility admits you cannot meet your own needs in the flesh. And humility of God means that you need somebody else. That you want the church to pray for you. And that you honestly, openly break your pride and your selfishness and your vainglory and your innermost pride and say, Lord, this is on my heart. This is a prayer request that I've prayed for many years. I cannot get through for some reason. I need help. You know, so, so many people are so prideful. They wouldn't say what's wrong with them to save their life. Because, I'm fr friend, it's pride. It's, it's pride. Pride and the haughty spirit comes before a great fall. And I believe if people would humble themselves, number one, they'd be in church. Number two, they'd read their Bible. Number three, they'd pray. And I believe when they got to church, they'd be real honest. They'd be real honest. You can't handle sin. You can't handle Satan. And you can't even handle your selfish desires. We must need God. I feel sorry for people that never come to an old-fashioned prayer meeting. I feel sorry for people that never come to church. Because really what they're saying is, I can handle it myself, or I really have given up. 
I don't think anybody can handle it. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's worth mentioning. I don't think it's worth sharing. Folks, I want to tell you something. The devil's got them on an isolated island of despair. And they'll never have revival. You'll never have revival until you come to the place of humility. And I want to say this. If you don't humble yourself, God knows how to humble you. God knows how to get your attention. And so we see that confession, confession uh, it precedes revival, but confession brings reconciliation. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Told you it was going there. Matthew 5, 23. Had these verses on my heart. Couldn't wait to get there, and then we'll close, and I'll give you just a quick lesson on how to pray. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. The Bible says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and then remember that thy brother had all against thee. Verse 24, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 25, or verse 5, verse 24. Leave there the gift before the altar. And go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thy adversary quickly, while there, there are the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Folks, the world's worst prison is the prison of unforgiveness. The worst prison that you could ever, and Matthew 18 verifies it in the parable that Jesus gave. The worst prison you can ever be in is the sin of prideful, unforgiving spirit. There can be no reconciliation when wrong is done until there's confession. When there's restoration and reconciliation, there's real revival. When confession replaces criticism and when compassion replaces condemnation. When public sin is publicly confessed, when private sin is privately confessed, folks, I'm going to tell you something. We publicly dishonor God. We ought to get right publicly because everybody knows it and nobody's going to know you got right with God unless you make it public. I believe in public, old-fashioned, mourner benches, but also public rededication because it's biblical. We confess our faults one to another. I don't mean that we have to pull out dirty laundry and make a big deal out of it, a big show out of it. It just means when we're broken, we really don't care how many people, what they think of us, but we really care about what God thinks. And you really need to get right with God because you have burned your testimony and smeared the name of Jesus in the ground. So we need to have private sin, private confession, public sin, public confession. And folks, I want to tell you something. God will send revival. And so there's a confession to be made, but also there's a command that we should, should mind. Look at verse 16. It says, confess your faults one another. And then what's the second thing? And pray one for another. And pray one for another. There's a command. Pray one for another. We wonder why the preachers uh, and, and leaders of the churches just fall out and give up. The Bible says we ought to pray uh, uh, in Luke chapter 18. I want you to turn there. I want you to see this simple verse. Luke chapter 18. How not to faint in your Christian life. Ever thought about fainting? The Bible, have you ever tried to faint? One time they took my blood when I was, uh, had my first physical and I fainted. So it was, what was so embarrassing, all these people in the company, it was a comp- I, was, I was taking a job at Davison's department store, and all these 
people that I wanted to impress were standing in line behind me, and I just hit the ground. And I hit the ground because I hadn't ate all day, I told them. And I was really a thing. But I think the really reason I hit the ground is I saw my own blood. I knew that day I'd never be a doctor, never be a surgeon, because with my own blood, I just passed out. That's embarrassing. Every time I go get my blood checked or drawn, I say, I wonder if it's going to happen again. It never has. That was the only time. I was so embarrassed that I never let it happen again. Uh, but I want to tell you something, friend. There's a spiritual fainting going on. And it's so sad. It says, when there's a parable that says this, that men ought to always pray and not to faint. Prayer, praying is, is breathing spiritually. If you stop breathing, you're going to pass out. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, pray without ceasing. He's still on the throne. Amen. He's still on the throne. He's still available. And you ought to come boldly to the throne of grace. A little girl uh, uh, heard the choir singing, he's still on the throne. And she went out and, and uh, told somebody out in the hallway, says, they're singing, he's still on the phone. And folks, I want to tell you something. He's not just on the phone. He's on the throne. He is on the throne. He is in charge. He's the sovereign God as we proved in Job's life this morning. And folks, he's in charge. But I want to tell you something. Prayer is the greatest Christian power. But it's the greatest Christian failure. And I want to say this. I believe prayer is the greatest Christian service. You are serving God when you pray. But, but we just want to go do something or be something Folks, it's, 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 it's more important than preaching and singing and winning souls is prayer. Listen to this quote. You can, do, you can do more than pray after you pray, but you can do no more than pray until you pray. Let me repeat that. You can do more than pray after you pray, but you can do no more than pray until you pray. Effective, fervent prayer. And I believe, folks, that people need prayer. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and I'll close with these two verses. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You'll turn there with me. I feel a, I feel a series coming on in this, in this passage, so I'm not going to rush it. I was going to finish James so I could be on schedule, but... I found a long time ago, my schedule is not God's schedule. And I want God's schedule to be my schedule, so I'm going to submit and not quit. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore him as one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear one another burdens, for so fulfill the law of Christ. For a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Listen to this now. For he that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, if we reap, we, in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. If we faint 
not. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. I believe before we have this missions revival, we need to understand the obligation we have and the privilege and the honor and the connection and the fellowship of prayer. It's very serious. I'm going to give you ten ways to pray for a missionary. I'm just going to state them. And I think I've learned a little more about being a missionary by looking at my daughter and son-in-law and then also being so close to Jeremy and Kevin and Brother Steve and others out of our church. How can I pray for my missionary? Number one, you need to pray for their personal needs. Call their name in prayer. Pray for their children by name. That's why we have these cards. That's why we have these letters. That's why we have the book that Miss Trudy labors over and has, has them so beautifully uh, inserted out there where you can pray over the missionaries. When's the last time you prayed effectual, fervent prayer for a missionary? And don't you criticize them if they come off the field. And don't you criticize them if they fall into adultery. And don't you criticize them if their kids go to the devil and rebel and go to the heathen culture of that nation and shame the whole family if you haven't prayed for them. Folks, they're going to a place where they need your help. And the greatest help they can have is intercessory, effectual, fervent prayer that availeth much. Number two, you need to pray for the missionary's personal relationship with God. Realizing that missionaries are people just like we are, they're men of like passion, ladies of like passion, teenagers and kids of like passion. They didn't even know they were going to the mission field. And mom and daddy said, hey, we're going halfway across the world and going to a place where you, they won't speak our language and their culture and there's demonic oppression like no other place. We're going, children. And they say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Folks, if they don't have a strong relationship with God, Satan will pick them apart. So pray for their personal needs. Pray for their relationship with God. Number three, pray for their physical and emotional needs. Good health is needed on the mission field. If they get sickly and they get um, emotionally distraught, they get depressed, they get discouraged, they get lonely... They get homesick. They're finished. Now they will get that way, but will they stay that way? And the only way they will not stay that way is somebody has got to have some effectual fervent prayer for their, their lives, their, their spirit, their emotions. Folks, depression's a battle here in good old America. Say amen. And some of you that hadn't ever been depressed, uh, your turn's coming. Amen? Uh, you, some of y'all got depressed over your team losing uh, so bad. I used to do that. I really did. I was praying that uh, Brother Scott wouldn't show up with a bumper sticker saying Bulldogs love T-bone steaks. I was praying he wouldn't do that. I, just, I said, he's going to split the church wide open. But he, he didn't, praise God. He didn't, he didn't fly his flags tonight. Hallelujah. I've talked him out of it. But he says, they'll be back next week. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you know I'm only kidding, brother. Thank God for Scott and Tressie's faithfulness. Thank God for them. 
Their little girl won them. Their little girl had prayer requests in Miss Nancy's Sunday school class until God heard it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous little girl reached mom and daddy. So don't you criticize his flags. Emotional needs. Emotional needs. Can you imagine how the devil attacks children on the mission field? Can you imagine? I don't want to be... I, just, I don't want to be too explicit because we're in mixed company and we have little children here. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. They become a target by some of the nationals to get out of their poverty and their wicked society. They think if they can get the missionary's boy or girl and they'll do anything they can to get out of that poverty and they'll lure those children into sin and immorality. I don't want to be too explicit, but I want to tell you something, friend. I wish you'd pray more for my children. And I wish you'd pray more for me. And I'll try to pray more for you. Because, friend, if our kids get attacked by Satan here in good old America, what do you think they're doing in foreign soil where there's a demonic stronghold? Well, pray for both. Thank God we got some missionaries that pray for us. Probably why we're where we're at today. Pray for the missionaries that can make necessary adjustments to living on the field of labor. Folks, there's a cultural shock that you're not aware of. There are some habits and things that just bug me on the mission field. I won't go into them, but I have literally made myself a fool on the mission field because I was doing some things that were not not proper to their culture. and I had to be corrected by the missionaries. In preaching, I was using illustrations. They, know, they couldn't even understand them. But I was using gestures. And they said, no, that's an obscene gesture, preacher. Here I am preaching with obscene gestures. Hallelujah. I was just doing this. You know, I, just, you know. I had no idea. I was embarrassing. I didn't want to preach the next service. But you, what do you think about these missionaries that try to speak the language and they say something wrong and they say something embarrassing and everybody laughs at them when it's the most serious point of their message? And if you don't pray for them, you'll see them right here on the pew saying, I tried, but I couldn't make it. We need to pray for protection as they travel under adverse conditions. I'll never forget the time that my prayer life began to stretch is when I rode on a bus from Arequipa, Peru to, to Chile. And this bus was wild man number two. He looked like he had escaped from some penitentiary somewhere and didn't get his license. And he got on the edge of the mountain, so help me, I looked over and there was nothing but thousands of feet of, of air and he was just flying through these mountain trails on a bus. Some of y'all went to Bolivia. Remember Miss Rebecca? Uh, uh, she gets motion sickness. She got on a bus going to Bolivia. Praise God. That'll shake you up. And Folks, that's dangerous. They have to... Uh, th- nobody stops in a third world country. Everybody makes their own way. There's... That's why they call them roundabouts, but everything's around. A four-way stop sign's a roundabout to them. And they're the craziest drivers I've ever seen in my life. The first mission trip I took, me and brother 
Wade had to take muscle relaxers after riding with Austin Gardner in a white truck. Our neck was stiff. Our head was pounding. And we were just both a basket case when we got out of that car. He drove like that in America. I knew he'd drive like that in Peru, but there's protection. Number two, that was all under number one. Number two, pray for an effective ministry. That was all under personal needs. Protection, adjustment, emotional relationship, personal. But number two, pray for the effective ministry of the missionary. The Lord's able to open doors that are seemingly locked tight. It's amazing. Pray for revival for each of the nations, each of the regions, each of the countries. Pray for soul one in power. Pray they'll communicate effectively the gospel. And if they're going to communicate effectively the gospel, did Jeremy speak in Kosa Wednesday night? Or Sunday night? Okay. Did you hear that language? If that's not the clickiest, clackiest, and you ought to see it in writing, there is no vowels. It's all just consonants. It is wild. Who would want to speak something like that? Well, to be effectively communicating the gospel, they got to learn that language. Oh, it'd be hard. Pray that God's love will fill the missionary's heart. Because that's the only thing that's going to keep them in language school. And it's the only thing that's going to keep them on the mission field. When their kids and their wife cries themselves to sleep every night, it's the only thing that's going to keep them on the mission field. Because they love their family. And when they're crying themselves to sleep, they've got to realize they've been called to that field for the love of God's sake and for the glory of God. And then number three, well, excuse me, under that ministry, pray that they'll be responsive to the message. I pray often, Lord, help them be receptive. Help them be receptive. Last week when I preached, uh, they, they worship different in India. They have a different kind of preacher. He's more teaching. I'm more preaching. And, and uh, I think he's doing a great job. But it was different people. They never say amen. They never come to the altar. They never even smile at you. They just sit there. But I want to tell you something. I pray God open their hearts. And before the week, we were best friends. Before Wednesday, uh, we were, you know, we were almost shouting it out. Whispering, shouting it out. Amen. Quietly. And, uh, and it was different. It was different culture, different people. But I've been on the mission where, where, where it's very different. You don't know if you're getting through or not. And it's only God can get through. We need to pray affectionately and fervently that the message will be responded to and received. Number three, and I'll quit with this one. We need to pray for their relationships. It's very important. The unity among the missionaries. The relationship with the nationals. If they don't have good leaders, they're not going to have a good church. We need, to have, we need to pray for the relationship with the government. You know what the gates are going through in Egypt? You know what the Gazaways are going through with Egypt? I mean, they could be arrested. They could be thrown in jail. They could be uh, uh, imprisoned. But they're there willingly. And God has worked miraculous things. Need to pray for a strong national church. Need to pray that God would build up a great Bible school, a national Bible school. Students, teachers, support staff. Folks, listen. Only God 
can make a missionary effective and faithful. I've hadn't asked Amy much, but I know that there's times that I've talked to Luke, Chase, Tyler, Emily, even little Addie. And I guarantee you, it was the adjustment of their life to go to a foreign country like South Africa. Nobody's white. And folks, the, it's dangerous. There's this, it's AIDS capital of the world in Africa. A lot less in Port Elizabeth. People live in situations that is despicable. That's why this Camp Rhino is going to be such a blessing, an array of sunshine, and an escape from all these people living in these one little old huts with uncles and aunts and, and all kinds of things going on. I won't describe, but these teenagers have to live in this one-room place, being exposed to all kinds of abuse, and that's where they got to knock on doors. That's quite an adjustment. You think it's going to be hard this area. And by the way, if they can go overseas and they can go leave their homes, I think once a month we can go two hours to friendly territory called Dalton, Georgia and knock on some doors. I think we are hypocritical if we don't. I believe we're saying, we'll send you, but I'm never going to be sent across the street or around the corner, as that beautiful song said this morning. I'll just send them and let them do my missionary work. Nobody can do your missionary work. You do your own missionary work. But I'll tell you what, when I see the sacrifice and the challenges of the mission field, it makes me want to be faithful where I'm at. And at the same respect, I need and you need and we need to pray for each other when we go Saturday morning as much as we pray for those missionaries because folks in America, people are just hard and they're cold and only God can open the door. But I know from experience, Brother Tommy, that God can prepare the heart. That God can get a person on his knees right before you knock on that door, Brother Pete, and say, I need direction. And see a daughter saved and a grandchild saved because somebody knocked on their door. That's God. That's nothing but God. But that's also prayer and fasting and cottage prayer meetings that God would open hearts doors during that revival and it turned into evangelism. A friend of mine, I don't want to be selfish, but I need your prayers. And we don't need just little fly-by-night yawning prayers. We need effectual, fervent prayer. The word fervent means stretched out in the Greek. Literally, he refers to Elijah. He stretched out himself, put his head down, and he stretched out seven times and prayed for rain, and God sent the rain. I'll get into that next week or the week after. But folks, what we need is to have a revival of intercessory prayer. You need to get somebody on your heart tonight. And you need to pray for them like you've never prayed before. I would appreciate you praying for my grandchildren, but don't let me be prejudiced, because I am.
Pray for all our missionaries as if they're your grandchildren. And if you had a child over there, I think you'd do a lot of praying. So pray for every missionary like they're your child. And maybe one day in heaven, at the judgment seat of Christ, there'll be somebody come up to you and say, thanks for giving to the Lord. You're the reason (laughs) that I'm alive. You're the reason that I listened to that missionary. You're the reason. And God has told me now that I'm in heaven. That in those daily, monthly, weekly prayer meetings for missionaries, you prayed for me. And I'm in heaven tonight because of your prayers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this serious but needed sermon and this little lesson which is not a very little lesson on how to pray for a missionary. God, we need to get a burden to pray. We need to realize the urgency of prayer, and we need to become fervent, effectual prayer warriors for others. So, dear God, I pray no sin would separate us from being on praying ground. No selfish desire, no personal presence, preference, no weight that easily besets us would get in the way of our fervent, effectual prayer. God, make me a fervent, effectual prayer warrior. And Lord, I want my prayers to avail much. And God, I'm ashamed to say, but I know, dear God, that my prayer life is not as fervent as it ought to be. Lord, you said in Hebrews 5, 7 that you wept when you prayed. And Lord, I don't know when the last time I shed a tear in prayer for a missionary. And God, I pray that you give us a burden to pray as we listen this coming Sunday to these missionaries' testimonies and burden and cry for support. Lord, I believe what they're crying for most of all is prayer support. So God, help us be that kind of church.